This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Morena no Maikiti Korero, welcome to the catch up on Manawatu People's Radio Tereo Irarangi Onatangata O Manawatu. Uh, it is a Wednesday morning, and that means we turn our attention to the media. And for the first time in 2022, we say good morning to Jimmy Ellingham, RNZ regional reporter for Manawatu. Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year, Fraser. Good to be here. Yes, well, you say good to be here. You were here most of uh, the, the festive period, judging by the security camera footage. I have. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did work quite a few days. It was an interesting one. I didn't work every day, so I had enough days off where I actually felt like I had a holiday. But of course, you were working, say, every three or four days. Mm. Um, I worked a bit from home too and uh, even got on the road a bit and went out and about, uh, including to a, a press conference down on the Romati Beach, which was Chris Hipkins. Ah, yes. When we were announcing the, the DJ uh, who had uh, came into New Zealand with, the, with COVID and was circulating in the community for a bit. And of course, being December the 28th, I think that was, it became a story, or 29th, it became a story that Chris Hipkins uh, walked down a a forestry track to get there. He was on holiday, I think, staying with his parents, perhaps, in the Romati. And before he arrived, his mum actually turned up and apologised for him being late. He had had to go and find a suit (laughs) <laughs> to, to 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 put on before he uh, oh, before God. he addressed the TV and radio cameras. <laughs> oh, I suppose that would have been just another one of those uh, iconic moments. The way New Zealanders deal with crises when the minister <laughs> turns up in shorts and jandals. Um, and it did um, it did feel a, a bit funny in a way because we're talking about quite serious things, but the setting was very relaxed. It was a playground on the Romati Beach, so behind us there were sort of people playing on children's playgrounds. Uh, there was a man soaring up the hill. <laughs> some gardening <laughs> and yeah. and the minister walked down a forestry track or, or a bushwalk uh, to get there it was uh, it was all very relaxed considering the serious and potentially mm. serious nature of the mm. subject matter at hand um all in all, though, fairly quiet over the festive period. I, I get the impression that because there was not a lot of other news, things like uh, the tennis player whose name Novak is Djokovic, no, yes. or Novak's Djokovic, yeah, yes, as he's called. Oh, dude, I thought you didn't like puns. Um, I, I gather he got more, perhaps, uh, column inches and airtime than he would otherwise uh, potentially, I, I would say there. Uh, I don't like puns very much. I thought that one was a good one. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, let's have a look at some of the the local stories that uh, you've been covering. Um, the High Flyers Building, notably your first ever uh, cross to the studio for RNZ uh, with uh, Brian Crump. <laughs> yes, the, the first day that they let me out. <laughs> yes. uh, and and quite lucky for you in a way. I think we talked at the time because you'd covered that in your previous job quite extensively. You were the, the font of all knowledge when yes, it came yes. to the old post office. <laughs> As I said, it was in a way, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but it was lucky it was that building. Yes. Otherwise I would have struggled. But potentially, of course, if it was a different building, there might not have been the interest outside of Palmerston North mm. for that because it is a well-known um, building the old post office building, high flyers building, whatever you call it. Any uh, temptation just to relodge an old story because it's kind of the same story. It's up for sale or it's, something's happening again. Uh, well, Fraser, this was a, a, a new development uh-huh. that we have been 
here before, of course. But yeah. um, just before Christmas, I spoke to Mayor Grant Smith, and he said the building is under a sale and purchase agreement. Mm-hmm. So it's owned, as I think we all know, uh, by a company called Palmerston Post, whose director and major shareholder, Alan Moyes, is based in Auckland. Yes. And uh, in his, uh, when he's owned the building, or when his company has owned the building, it's it's decayed. We we yeah. all know that, but it, it is under a sale and purchase agreement at the moment. We have apparently though been very close to a sale before, so yes. we we can't uh, count our chickens before they hatch. Are, um, there, pl- are there plans lodged with the relevant authorities? Because it was going to be like a hotel or a boutique sort of yes, little and, and those mall. resource consents that the Palmerston Post or perhaps a previous company, but a related entity uh, applied for, they they still stand. So there still can be, those resource consents are still valid to turn it into whatever you want. Mm -hmm. The only thing that's protected is the facade of the building, and the Edwardian uh, facade. But all the stuff behind can be pulled out and Mm -hmm. you'd think would have to be pulled down because of the damage to it. There was an engineering report done last year released under the Official Information Act, and this is before the fire, and it found water damage, mm-hmm. uh, floors unstable, glass everywhere. And as Grant Smith uh, pointed out too, the, the building's been added to over the years. There's no real heritage value no. in that. It's just a facade. Yeah, yeah. And Like the, uh, the library. Yeah, exactly like the library. And that was a, a good example of that, where they just kept the facade and yeah. behind it it's all new. Uh, interestingly, um, with High Flyers, I saw on one of those, there's those Facebook groups to the online where people put old photos of Palmerston North and there was one up from 2013 not that long ago <laughs> yes. and the building looked fine yeah <laughs> and it was the last tenant left in 2016 and since then the decay has been quite rapid six years is not a long time for that level of degradation to take hold I mean yeah. obviously there have been um, people hanging out in there that shouldn't be and, and that's added to the issue people being naughty mm. um, but still not a long time for a building to degrade to that extent mind mm. you fires won't help no, they don't. They don't help. Although, in a way, they they might help. In a way, it might accelerate the process uh, mm-hmm. potentially of a sale or getting rid of the back of the building and starting a development. Interestingly, too, we uh, unearthed some correspondence to the council about the building, and just three days before the uh, the fire, the Palmerston North Police Area Prevention Manager, I think they call them Crime Prevention Manager uh, Inspector Ross Grantham, wrote to the council saying, uh, sort of decrying their antisocial behaviour there and saying yeah. <laughs> someone could get hurt, he said. Uh, in the end, nobody actually got hurt in that fire, but the building certainly That's did. That's good luck, though, not good management. Yeah, yeah. Two, two youths in police language were uh, involved in the fire and they were dealt with by youth aid, mm. uh, which tends to indicate they were too young yeah. for anything else to happen to them. Um, there is a bit, I mean, I, I know in speaking to Mayor Helen Warboys around fielding CBD, there seems to be renewed interest uh, in well, certainly in fielding, landlords actually taking on the earthquake strengthening and the work needing done to get buildings up to code. Whereas, you know, it was only a year or so ago that Mayor Helen was saying, you know, she was expecting landlords just to turn up and drop the keys at the desk yes, and say, it's your problem that's now. that's right. I, I recall those so sort of quotes. Maybe, maybe this is good news that the High Flyers building, the old post office, maybe some work might actually happen oh, this time. Fingers crossed. And you can tell Grant Smith and, and probably all the councillors and probably all the council staff are incredibly frustrated because there's nothing they can do. No. They can keep issuing these notices. There's been correspondence about, you know, boarding up windows, that sort of thing, and it's happened gradually. Mm. Ironically, it's happened more since the the fire it yeah. took that. Uh, Grant Smith pointed out that in Europe, when uh, in some parts of Europe, there's when buildings get to that state, you can penalise them in extra rates yeah. and that sort of thing. And uh, one sort of feels like the council here wishes they could do that uh, to to that company. Well, Palmerston I mean, the, Post. I mean, the, the, is the building a risk of falling on someone? Because surely at that point, 
you know, even even the glass falling out the windows, if that landed on someone, I mean, that would be... Well, yeah, I did a story about that last year, and there was some correspondence between the owner and the council. It took a bit of effort to get the windows boarded up. Mm. But, I mean, that looks looks terrible. It fixes the glass problem. I'm assuming the, the holders of this property at the moment are just basically banking on the value of the land more than anything else. Yeah, so the value of the land has gone up in the latest rates. It's just a little bit over $3 million. The building's worth... Virtually nothing, <laughs> yes. as you can expect. In fact, if anything, you'd say it's almost a cost, yeah, yeah. Uh, the building. Uh, so the land has gone up a little bit. And, and you'd think that um, it's a, a prime site, you'd think, yeah. on, on the square. It doesn't, interestingly, get that much pedestrian traffic. You know, those surveys that um, come out every year. It is a quiet corner. Yeah, and, and that bus shelter there tends to mean it's not really an open space, no. is it? Um, but, but, of course, there are plans, aren't there, to upgrade there all are all sorts of things. Anyway. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens with that uh, over the course of 2022, um, and maybe get that eyesore addressed because very much in keeping with the council's intents with um, placemaking. I think that stretch of of the square is the the yes, next target. So. It is, and, and the other uh, the block opposite looks um, much different, much nicer. Mm. You have to say than what it did. So uh, we look just forward- don't try and drive a car through it. That's no, all. no, no. Anyway. Well, I think that's the idea, though, isn't it? Well, yes. I, all right. Um, let's move on. Uh, we are here with Jimmy Ellingham from RNZ, the Manawatu Regional Reporter. Let's have a look at the Palmerston North Police Station. Yeah, another building uh, there. So it was just 15 or so years ago, uh, just a bit over October, I think late 2005, that the Palmerston North Police moved into their current building on Church Street. They mm-hmm. moved across the road from their previous uh, residents that, uh, if it's not careful, will look a bit like the High Flyers <laughs> building. Perhaps it's lucky it's just a little bit back yep. from the square because uh, it doesn't look great, no. does it? And we've spoken before about the problems with finding developers uh, to work with Iwi on, on that building. But, yeah, the Palmerston North building is getting, uh, police station building is getting earthquake strengthened. Oh, wow. And it needs quite a bit of work done. But it's also the police are taking the chance to actually upgrade it. I mean, 15 years, things have changed. Oh, yes. And we're going to see, we're told, an improved um, office space for the police. So that, that's good to hear as well. But this building was one of them where there was some design work done by Kevin O'Connor, and Associates, an engineering company that's um, well, it's, it's, it was last year fined uh, for the poor quality of some of its workmanship, mm-hmm. and, and quite a few buildings around Palmerston North, Masterton, and, the, and that sort of thing were subject, and there's potential concerns mm. uh, over them. And the Palmerston North Police Station is one. Mm-hmm. I, I asked the um, the police if they're going to be pursuing Kevin O'Connor for any cost or anything like that, but uh, they said they didn't want to answer this question at this time. Uh-huh. So maybe maybe tomorrow they'll <laughs> change yes. their minds yes. uh, potentially or something like that. But but the work is a bit more than earthquake strengthening. It's also to do with uh, making a modern policing environment or something along those One lines. One where people can't walk in and steal some guns. Yes, uh, well, I think <laughs> I think that security uh, loophole has been uh, been shut. <laughs> One would hope, anyway. But uh, but yes, yeah, so there's going to be some work. Well, there is work done there, and it will be finished probably by about December this year. So it's quite a long project. More just over a year or so. That uh, it's is taken. there going to be any sort of expansion? I mean, I know um, the the. Uh, so policing in fielding is conducted from Palmerston North now. There's the the sort of the occupation of the police station in fielding isn't as consistent now. You would you'd think there would need to be increased capacity in Palmerston North for moves such as that. I don't think there's going to be expansion of the building. I mean, internally perhaps they might make more people. Mm-hmm. Um, I know from uh, newsrooms I've worked in where that's happened. That means they fit you in like sardines mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to your nice. You know, used to have a nice <laughs> sort of three desks work of space. I don't know um, if there's any uh, of that sort of planning around uh, internally, but uh, but definitely there's going to be some changes there. Perhaps better use of space too, maybe. 
um, which is also talk for jamming people in. Who knows? Yes, well, we, we, we shall see. Uh, you're listening to The Catch-Up on Two People's Radio. We're here with uh, Manawatu Regional Reporter for RNZ, Jimmy Ellingham. If you want to listen to this or previous editions of The Catch-Up series, head to the website, npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your online listening. Uh, turning to more serious news uh, and a story that you've done, you've covered more than once in, in various details, the, the death at the hospital. Yeah, well, there's been several deaths at the hospital well, of mental true, health yes. uh, patients. There's at least six or seven in the past few years, going back to about 2014. Of course, we know the mental health ward has been ruled not fit for purpose and mm. will be replaced. Uh, but this Has work started on that yet? Physically, I don't think so. Mm. Um, it might have, I could stand corrected, of course, over the holiday uh, period, but it's, it's due to open later this year. So if not, I'm sure it will be the soon. The clock is ticking. Yeah, you've given me a good idea for something to follow up. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> yes, I'll just, I'll just write that down. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but turning yeah, to, to serious um, serious matters, uh, the death of a man called Paul Rowe, who was 58 years old, he actually died in Wellington Hospital. He, he died of his injuries that he suffered at Palmerston North Hospital. It's a bit of a complicated one, so bear with me for yep. a minute, um, please, Fraser. He, he was admitted in June with a serious self-inflicted wound, uh, but he wasn't admitted to the mental health ward. Uh, he was admitted to the emergency department and then had an, had an operation to clean up uh, the wound, basically. So went to a general ward where he was recovering. Uh, he was due to be taken to the mental health ward, but in the, he was at the hospital for just a bit over a day, but almost sort of he came in on, I think, a Friday night, and this was Sunday morning sort of thing. He hadn't been seen by mental, hadn't actually been assessed by the mental health team. Right. Yet uh, there had been a decision made to lessen his observation. So initially, someone comes in for a wound like that, you, you watch them. Um, but that decision was made that it would only be under periodic watch. So right. I think it was every 15 uh, minutes. And during this, it was noticed he'd escaped um, from the ward. He was in Ward 27, and that was at about 2 a.m. Uh, on the Sunday morning, sort of yeah, 36-ish hours after he was admitted. Um, he had actually fallen or jumped. There's, the coroner hasn't made a ruling here yet, but the coroner has given given us permission to uh, make public these details because of the public interest, which isn't always the case in something that could be mm-hmm. a suspected suicide. The hospital says it's a suspected suicide, though Paul Rowe's family disputes that, or, or at least says there's not enough evidence. But what we do know is he fell or jumped two two stories onto a big balcony area, uh, and that was from his from the window next to his bed mm-hmm. on the ward that that was open, ajar open. But despite this, he wasn't found for two and a half hours. So this is during winter, yep. and so he's outside. And, of course, the coroner in the, her initial findings has actually said you know, sepsis, mm. basically. So he had blunt force injuries that killed him, but the sepsis sinks in when you're not found uh, straight away, plus hypothermia too. He was very cold uh, when found. And his family has many questions uh, about his care, including why why did it take two and a half hours to find him? The hospital says, well, staff looked out the window, and first it wasn't believed that he could fit out the window, okay. but there was a history of another patient having done so. <laughs> right. Uh, and apparently when you look out the window, there was a ledge, so you couldn't see the balcony below, but the family says, well, without a physical search of that area, how could you know? Yeah. Their other concern was until police arrived some time after he was, uh, Paul Rowe was reported missing, then they viewed CCTV footage to see he hadn't left the ward by the door, so yep. obviously pointing to the window. Why wasn't that done Straight sooner? Away, yeah. 
Um, the other concerns are, of course, well, he had no mental health assessment. Shouldn't that be done? If someone comes in with a – and this is a serious wound. This wasn't a um, – without being too graphic, this wasn't a little scratch. This no, was, no, no. This yeah, is yeah. a serious wound this man had. Given that, why wasn't he, um, as some people would call it, sectioned, but at least assessed yeah. by mental health uh, straight away? And I mean, it does. It, it just smacks of negligence, doesn't it? I mean, I, I empathise greatly with our, our medical professionals, and we, as you st- started, the mental health provision, uh, our care provision in Palmerston North is woefully lacking, and it's being addressed. But there does appear to be so many small negligent matters that have built up into just the perfect storm that has resulted in the death. Well, that's what we see here, isn't it? There's perhaps no one thing you can identify, but all these factors uh, led up to it. And then including uh, when he was noticed missing, security was alerted, and they saw a man matching his description out the front having a smoke, and they thought it was him, Mm -hmm. and they just sent him back to the, the ward. And, of course, he got this man got back to the ward. Oh, it's not him, but that how many minutes have you lost? But Paul Rowe's family pointed out there too, given that there were concerns about this man and his welfare, why did security not escort him back to the ward? Also, did they not check the other man's identification? Um, That sort of thing. But I have spoken to Lisa Stevenson, who's uh, Paul Rowe's sister and acting as family uh, spokeswoman, and uh, here's what she's Here's what she's got to say about uh, the mental health assessment, which didn't happen. Mental health needs to have input directly with any patient that presents with significant self-harm. And also they need to have a level of care that makes sure that they are safe. And that would be one-on-one care until it can be determined what the next best process is for them. And that's not what we saw uh, in this case. But she uh, she also spoke about the security uh, situation when I was talking to uh, just before about some of the perhaps missteps that happened there. They started their own searches and they found a male matching his description and sent him unescorted back up to the ward and without checking their identity. It was another half an hour before it was realised that that person they sent back was in actual fact not Paul. And, <sighs> and one wonders what that half an hour, what does that cost? So what's the what's the what's the plan moving forward? I mean, is this this is going to trial? Is it? I assume, or is there going to be some sort of investigation? Well, the coroner is investigating, yeah. so there'll be no there's no criminal charges. The coroner's released some interim findings, but the final report could be some way away. Of course, there could be an inquest held, and I'm pretty sure the family wants that because that gives them the chance to question mm. uh, question people. When there's no inquest held, it's just a matter of statements. In the, in the family or a lawyer or whoever doesn't get a chance to question it. The hospital has released a, a draft report um, about, about it. The family disputes some of the, these findings too because it found that there was nothing that no one thing or no acts caused Paul mm. Rowe's death. But from what we've just heard, it tends to indicate that a lot of small things definitely contributed to it. The, the report does recommend some changes such as better communication between security yeah. and staff when there's a search uh, better communication between hospital staff and mental health staff about how, are we going to assess someone, when can that happen, and even if someone's not in a position to be assessed, at least talk to the staff dealing with them. I, I, I don't want to sort of, I, well, I don't want to politicise it, but I'm seeing parallels here. Is 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 the DHB ultimately responsible, and are they going to even exist by the time the the findings of this inquest come out? In which case, is this uh, fodder to support the government's? 
desired changes to the health system. Well, you've hit on the problem really with uh, with what we've seen at Palmerston North Hospital. This year there's going to be an inquest into two deaths, uh, suspected suicides of patients on the mental health ward in 2014. Mm-hmm. So any shortcomings found then, by that time, who, who knows, the, the new ward could be half built. Yeah. In which case the hospital can say, well, look, we've, we've got this new, there's nothing really here to, uh, and that's why these things need to be done in a timely yes. uh, manner. We asked the DHB about if any of the changes recommended in this report had happened. They said they can't comment while it's before the coroner. And, of course, that's their choice. Um, I'm not quite sure. I'd dispute can't a little bit. I think yep. wouldn't Yes, uh, would be more appropriate. But either way, they haven't commented uh, at this point. But uh, but I will be doing some more uh, stories about this because what an absolutely terrible situation um, for poor Rose family. Yeah, uh, and, 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 and difficult to manage when, as we've said repeatedly, no one o- overly uh, negligent person can be blamed. This is you know, just a perfect storm of, of small bureaucratic issues that have built into a problem. Uh, but our, our, our obviously our thoughts go to the, the Roe family and hopefully something can be done. Yeah, and, and just on the, the security aspect too, um, obviously not searching a balcony below a window that was open. Yes. The reason was given for this is that there was no access for that area at night, but no access to normal ways. Mm. Well, like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's You a- would have thought. Uh, I'm not a security uh, officer. I'm not an expert in this matter, but you would have thought it was the most basic thing would be if you see a window open and you can't find someone, that potentially below that window could be where the person is. Yeah. Uh, potentially, particularly when you know their, their history of coming to hospital with, with that wound. Yes. And, yeah, so some changes were recommended for the way hospital staff liaise with security. But we've seen before, there was a case I've mentioned on this show before. Uh, it happened in 2017, I think. A, a man took leave from the mental health ward. His, you know, he, he died in a suspected suicide. The coroner's finding hasn't come back yet about that. But his that man's body was found metres away yes. from the mental health ward entrance. And security pretty well said, we looked everywhere except there. Yeah. You know, is that going to keep happening? Are they going to keep looking everywhere except there? Well, we're just going to have to watch the uh, news pages of RNZ's website and keep an ear out on uh, the radio for your coverage of that as we move forward in 2022. Uh, to slightly lighter matters, uh, although still uh, dreadful for some, the fielding floods uh, over the, the festive uh, – was it festive? Just yeah, before it was just the before. It yeah. was uh, basically about 10 days or so before Christmas. It seems – it's about four weeks ago. Now, it seems quite hard – when we look out, the, look out our window every day today to, to be greeted by hot sunshine and, and it's dry, isn't yes. it? And this is, in a way, not quite the last rain. There was that day of rain that uh, was the night before the, the first two drownings yes. in the Manawatu uh, River. But this was back in December and it was mostly, it was about two weeks of rain. But included in that were two massive downpours in the fielding uh, Manawatu mm. I, I, I said to, to Mayor Helen in the catch-up that I, I thought this was a, a, a glowing uh, commendation of the stormwater system of fielding because I remember you said you went to fielding the following day and it just looked a bit muddy, like all the water had gone. That was after the first, uh, yeah. yeah, it wasn't after the second lot. But yeah, the, the, the first, it was sort of in two waves, wasn't it? And, and the first one I did go the next day and it was very hard to tell that there'd been any rain at all, really, yeah, yeah. But, a, but, a, but a major-ish and it was a flash flood in a way because the water came and went pretty quickly uh, for people. The Manawatu District Council actually is is next week, I believe, uh, debriefing and having, a, as territorial authorities do, they have a debrief to see what went right, what went wrong. And what the cost is as well. What the cost um, and some of the roading problems haven't been fixed yet. 
but but infielding itself, it was perhaps that second flash flood, which I think from memory was a Wednesday night, mm-hmm. and that caused torrents of water to come through some people's houses on the western side of town. Uh, there was some blame made towards unmaintained or poorly maintained culverts as well. Yes, yeah, there was some of that. And when I was in town on the, the following morning, on the Thursday morning, it ra- started raining heavily again, and it rained heavily for about an hour. And, and the drains and the roads just became rivers and lakes. But very quickly, they all of a sudden were dry again. Yeah, so yeah. It, it was very odd in a way. And, it, and those, that's, I guess that's what happens in those flash flooding events. Often they're very localised, aren't they? Yes. To where the rain happened. But uh, one part that's out of fielding, quite well out of fielding actually, it's uh, on the banks of the Rangatiki River is Luru Road. And I have terrible trouble saying that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's the only time I'm going to say it. <laughs> Fair enough. And um, that road was in fact cut off yep. because uh, it was thought initially perhaps the bridges were washed away, but they weren't actually washed away. Was, the, lots of debris was carried down the waterways there and just made them impassable. So forestry slash uh, mud, silt, mm. potentially just waste as well. Forestry, well, not even forestry, just trees and yeah, yeah. Uh, vegetation, that sort of thing. And uh, one lady who lived down there is Julie Julie Rush, and she lives on a a, a property. It's a, it's a farm, and she has what's normally a one-meter stream going through, and now she has a very, very wide uh, channel that was carved out by these um, floodwaters, and uh, here's her describing that. Here is um, the creek. Well, it was a creek. It was lucky to be a meter wide. It's now 10, and it's absolutely wrecked. Trees are broken, they're washed away, the banks have washed away, the whole structure of the stream has been wrecked. So that's what's happened to her house, and she had lots of mud basically and silt covering her garden. Mm. And uh, I've been there recently too, and it's all dried out now, which makes it almost worse in a way because she's got all this hard... It's become quite hard and nothing can grow. And a huge gully. In her and a huge garden. gully in her back uh, garden as well. Infielding itself, on, on the western side of it, there were a couple of houses that were hit by, as I said, it was a, a flash flood. They basically said a torrent of water came down a hill and went through their properties and it was gone uh, fairly fast. But one of them was uh, Alicia Field and here's her describing what happened. I had like my grandmother's dressing table and things, but we were able to um, get that upstairs prior to the water coming in. And it was honestly like a scene out of the Titanic. So you know when the water's coming up the, the hallway in the, in the ship, it was like that. It was just running towards us in the garage. That's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. It happens so fast. And the next day I went there and it was a funny thing because often you go to a house that's been flooded and everything's muddy and wet. There was almost no sign of it apart from the marks on the wall and the yeah. sodden carpet. Yeah. But from the outside, you'd, you'd sort of think, I don't even know what's happened. The lawn was a little bit flattened from the water yeah. and you know, fences and things have been broken. But that's not necessarily always a sign of a, of a flood at first. There was, there was none of the normal signs. So you really, suspect a plumbing issue as opposed to yeah, a flood. Yeah, exactly. It, it was really, really strange. But um, Alicia and her, her neighbour were quite badly affected and it seemed to be a very localised event because they were – they live sort of in front of a hill, so mm. the water obviously came down uh, at, at great. Perhaps they were thinking of the possibility of a waterway that's the banks breached, and that's likely. And it's also likely what happened with Julie Rush down the the, the road that I'm not going to say. Yes. Um, <laughs> so well, as well. Well, we'll keep an eye out uh, for a follow up on that because obviously MDC doing the debrief that will be interesting to see. Um, apparently, there are calls from sec- certain sections of the community for bigger stormwater pipes, and Mayor Helen said, well, sure, but, you know, you have to pay for them somehow, uh, which I think is a fairly valid point. We are 
pretty much out of time, but uh, we have to talk about something that's very much in your wheelhouse, and that is cricket. Uh, a bit of a cricket nut. Uh, Ross Taylor is retiring. Yes, the black cap who went to school in Palmerston North and played uh, for Manawatu in a Palmerston North club, Marist, uh, after he left uh, school. I don't, I don't probably need to go into his career in great detail. It's been covered, including at the wicket with his final ball in Test cricket. You might have even heard about that. No. Fraser, no? No. <laughs> me, me and cricket, no. <laughs> no, the accent uh, gives it away. But <laughs> I, I spoke to, I think it was New Year's Eve, I spoke to Ross Taylor's high school coach from Palmerston North Boys High School, Paul Gibbs, and I said to him, uh, what would you say to Ross if you saw him on the street? Ross is was a pretty humble guy and, and he'd probably cross the street to see me, which is you know, says a, a hell of a lot about him and I, I think that's remarkable in the first instance. You know, I just sort of say that, that I was proud of him and the school was proud of him, the country's proud of him, you know. So I don't think there's any better accolades you can have for that. No, no, no. no. Wipe, put, wipe he, the tears from your eyes. He put Jimmy. that very well, uh, Paul Gibbs, and <laughs> it was nice of him. Uh, nice of him to speak to me from holiday up in the uh, East Cape, oh, uh, somewhere. So <laughs> just managed to get hold of him quite miraculously because the phone reception wasn't great. Oh, there you go. Uh, we are completely out of time on the catch up this morning, but uh, RNZ regional reporter for Manawatu, Jimmy Ellingham, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you, Fraser. And remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the series, head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch up. Tomorrow is meant to be Palmerston North City Council. We'll see if we get a rep from them. Otherwise, it will be Ian McKelvey on Friday. Bye for now. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.